Welcome to the next best podcast with your hosts, Chris Cashman. He's been described as tough, handsome, talented, sensitive, dynamic. And Chris Daniels. He's been compared to Nicholson, De Niro, and Brando. Now, from the CNC Podcast Factory, here's the next best podcast. Once again, here we are from the CNC Podcast Factory. Chris Daniels, looking good this week, despite what has been a bit of a bruiser of a week. It's been a bruiser of a week. And by the way, uh, I forgot to mention to you in the newsroom that the CNC Music Factory is actually coming to Everett. Is there a band with that name? CNC Music huh. Factory. They're going to make you sweat. <laughs> uh, they, yeah, along with TLC, uh, I, lo- I love the 90s. Tour. I love those kind of tours oh, when they God. do it, but I'm always depressed when I go to some of those shows and see that there are none of the original members of the groups, or <laughs> or there is some version of their former self on stage that is, uh, you, you know, you're happy for them to, to go out and to tour and to make some money, but boy, I, from... Uh, the reviews I heard from last summer's I Love the 90s tour, um, I think I'll just watch from afar. Bismarcky also will be Bismarcky? All right. And uh, Tretch, Naughty by Nature. First concert I ever went to was to see Naughty by Nature. I think they were at Bumbershoot. And a friend of mine said, hey, let's go. We're cool. We like that kind of music. We went, and it was at Key Arena. And I sat in my seat way in the upper deck the entire time. Thoroughly intimidated. I watched the concert with the moms up from my seat. Now, I did mention Key Arena, which is a hot button topic around this town. That creates the perfect segue, Chris, for an unusual, a new, a spring forward edition of the podcast, David. It's time for the high five. We're in a celebratory spirit this week, Chris. High five. We're taking a break from talking about the five things we are most interested in this week, and we're just talking about all things spring forward. We've changed the clocks, we've got more daylight, but things have gotten weird. Uh, This week is so busy, every day is like a holiday. What, Monday was National Napping Day, Yes. Uh, Friday is uh, National Sleeping Day, Pi Day, St. Patrick's Day, that coincides. We're going to get into all of that, but let's start at what you've been doing all week. Unfortunately, the 10-year saga continues, yes. but I gotta give you some kudos because we're talking about the ongoing Sonics saga, the arena situation. People get annoyed when we call it snowpocalypse, you know, right. in the weather world and all that stuff, but I think it is officially arena apocalypse because it is a uh, become a legit grudge match on the Soto Arena versus Key Arena in the heart of downtown. So unfortunately for you, you've got to continue to talk about this stuff and to dig into it. But I walked by your desk the other day and you had paperwork out, you had spreadsheets. Yeah. I was giving you a hard time for yeah. what you were doing. It looked like a, like a trigonometry exam of some sort. But you said, no, I'm looking at the results of a finding from an independent traffic study. What's going on, Chris? This is getting crazy because it's, it's not just about the money. It's about whether or not it's realistic to renovate or just to bring basketball back to Key Arena, which, oh, by the way, is in the heart of Seattle. It really is Seattle Center, and with that comes some unique challenges, and that's kind of what you've been dealing with. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've made the joke multiple times that I go to meetings so you don't have to. Yeah, thank you. I've been to more meetings on this particular subject in this particular city than probably uh, anybody else, and uh, this week was no different. 
Uh, like you said, I, I did have my Excel spreadsheets out looking at traffic. What I did is I, I went to Kirkland-based Enrix. They do a lot of GPS uh, traffic technology. They uh, work with car companies. Uh, they are uh, a company that we've used multiple times uh, over the years to look at major traffic congestion days and you know when bridges closed down, etc. Haven't been hired by anybody. Uh, we use their traffic uh, data on the morning show, and I said, "Hey, can we look at what Key Arena looks like with a major event?" And and the uh, what preceded all this was the Pac-12 Women's Basketball Tournament that was in town. Sure. Multiple games a day. Uh, what what that would do to the traffic corridor around Seattle Center. And we talked, and they said, you know, we should we should look at that, and we should look at maybe what a sold-out show looks like or a sold-out event. And so they pulled data from uh, two of the days of the Pac-12 Women's Basketball Tournament and then three weekdays where there were major events at Key Arena. It was a Justin Bieber concert and two back-to-back -back Adele shows. Uh, Bieber and Adele sold out the place. And so... They looked at that and, and found that the congestion was significant around just around the, the roads that border Seattle Center from uh, Queen Anne Avenue to Highway 99. So not east of 99 as people approach I-5, but just in that corridor. And they found uh, several minutes of delays, uh, 35 to 40 minutes during the Adele and uh, Bieber concerts just in the area around Seattle Center. But taking off your news hat for a moment, don't you imagine, and I'm, wa I'm watching you work your tail off yeah. and crunching these numbers and go through all this info so that you can break it down for people yeah. who are, you know, watching the news on King 5. But, I mean, what do you think personally? I mean, it seems like a big hashtag, duh. Of course traffic's going to be far worse. Traffic's terrible and, downtown and it was, Seattle. It was funny. The response to the story on social media was like, I, I, got, I don't know how many tweets that said, water is wet. Yes. I mean, I, I think that a lot of people know this. The, the two groups that are looking at renovating Key Arena also know yeah. this. I saw a lot of anger online, a lot of yeah. tweets, a lot of people responding, you know, e even to you personally, you know, like, come on, duh, we all know. Right. But, you know, the thing is, is it's easy for somebody to say traffic is bad. Yeah. I, that's why I wanted to see raw data uh, to see what it actually looks like. And so that's what we did here. Uh, I went to another meeting this week very early in the morning with the Mercer stakeholders. I mean, we're talking about... Ooh, uh, yeah, that sounds I mean, fun. Very exciting sitting at the table. Where was that, in Vegas? <laughs> what nightclub was it in? <laughs> they had a disco ball. It was yeah. nuts. It was off All the right. hook. No, um, uh, Mercer stakeholders meeting with uh, representatives from the Seattle Center, uh, the Space Needle, the Lower Queen Anne Community Council, the So Uptown really all Lines. the official parties with some sort of vested interest in Correct. how this turns out. Commute Seattle uh, yeah. was there, and... They talked about traffic, and, and AEG, uh, their representatives said they know it's the Achilles heel of any new project there, and they've hired a transportation consultant. OVG, the Oakview Group, they have also hired a transportation consultant. They know that this is the issue with any sort of redevelopment of Key Arena. Uh, I can tell you that in this meeting, a lot of people threw out the idea of taking the monorail to Seattle Center. Light rail is not going to be there for close to 20 years, uh, and a lot of people said the monorail should be incentivized to get people to use it again. Then the question came up, well, you'd have to add more cars, uh, besides just a couple of cars, but as you know, 
that only goes like seven tenths of a mile. Well, it's the it's the world's mile. most thrilling, uh, <laughs> you know, ten second ride. Yeah. So, how would that, other than getting people out of the immediate area, do anything? That just dumps them into Westlake. I, I'm telling you, the argument will be made that you can take light rail from anywhere on the existing light rail line to downtown, and then hop from the Westlake Center station onto the monorail to get to Key Arena. That's going to be the argument made. The The other thing, and it's really kind of the great unknown here, and I don't think you know, anybody who says they have a straight answer uh, is wrong uh, on this question, but when that tunnel gets done, um, there's going to be a significant amount of traffic that's dumping out right into Mercer. Right. Uh, they can't get off downtown anymore when the viaduct goes away. How? What? What's that going to look like? Traffic capacity will be reduced by the tunnel with what the existing viaduct allows so all those cars will be spitting out right onto mercer sure the city says hey uh yes there's congestion but they're going to have three through streets that will be completed once the battery street tunnel and once the tunnel is completed that will help to take some car congestion bike congestion pedestrian congestion off mercer and denny uh but nobody really has any clue how that's all going to work right and that's really a great unknown is you just don't know what behavior is going to be like if well, if there is a venue that is hosting an additional 80 nights, and, and this could be five years, 10 years down the road, an additional 80 nights with sixteen to 17,000 fans sure. uh, in a city that will continue to grow there. Right. And I would love for Seattle Center to become vibrant again. I mean, when I was a kid, that was, you know, you wanted to go hang out, the Fun Forest and, and the Center House and all that stuff. And they've done a wonderful job of renovating that. The Armory now looks great, and real restaurants, all that stuff. You know, so I want to see that thrive. I want it to be the crown jewel where guests from out of town, you go, no, no, I'll take you downtown to Seattle Center, man. This is the place to be between Mopop and all of that. Yeah. But I'm also somebody who sits in that traffic, and I probably speak for a lot of people who still scratch their head about the fix for the Mercer mess, which right. is way messier. Uh, it took me well over an hour just to get to I-5 from about six blocks away recently. And I don't think it was unusual when I talked about it to other people with outrage. I, it took me an hour! They went, yeah, yeah, I work in that area. Yeah. You know, they weren't even yeah. phased. So it just really seems like a bit of an impasse. But I also know that you took it a step further this week. You had a, a rather significant conversation. Yes, OVG's chairman, Tim Laiwicki, is in town. Uh, and and again, his group uh, continues to be bullish on this project. They're one of the groups that is expected to bid here now in less than a month on Key Arena. And here's what he had to say during our conversation. People have said that, that ultimately this won't work because we're only interested in the economics of the arena. Not true. So we're prepared to be equal partners with anyone that owns a team. They can share the arena with us, and we will be 50-50 partners, and we will absolutely give them the upside of the arena. We'll do whatever it takes, and we'll structure it however we need to structure it in order to get a team or two here. Secondly, we are prepared, and we've had conversations with people that are interested in the potential and opportunity of bringing a team here. And we have been asked by those people to join them in the ownership, and we've made it very clear we will take a small piece, a minority piece, in order so that the building and the team owner will be 100% aligned. The mistake we've made in Seattle is getting ahead of commissioners. 
and you never get ahead of commissioners. The only person that could ultimately talk about an NHL team moving to Seattle is Commissioner Bettman. And we are in constant communication and we'll follow his lead. Um, what I truly believe is, and, and if you want to talk about Phoenix in particular, that, that's a process that he controls. It's a process he's involved in. And if you look at his last comments, it's a process that he thinks may take two years to unfold. I, I think he is fully dedicated and has made it very clear he is fully dedicated to finding a solution in Phoenix. We cannot and we will not ultimately go prey on trying to move franchises. That was a major mistake and we won't make that mistake. We will live within the, the direction and within the guidelines we have been given by both commissioners and both commissioners have made it clear there are no franchises that are going to be moving anytime in the near future and we shouldn't get ahead of them. There's 10 million people that come to Seattle Center each and every year, 10 million people. It's one of the top points of destination in the United States, including the Space Needle. And, and so when, when someone says there's going to be congestion when you have a sold-out show, they're correct. But that congestion is going to be wherever you have 18,000 people. So whether it's Sodo or whether it's Seattle Center, you're going to have congestion. The difference is we already have the 10 million people. We already have the arena. We've already had 120 events a year. And so it's not like we're starting from scratch as to people knowing how to get in and out of here, people coming to this campus. This is a significant point of destination. Seattle has a traffic issue that is not just unique to the neighborhood with Queen Anne and Seattle Center. We are going to do a lot to ultimately come out and talk about how we will help to mitigate that traffic issue. Yeah, so that is Tim Laiwiki. A lot of people know Todd Laiwiki uh, from his days here in Seattle with the Seahawks. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. There's going to be multiple meetings. The bids are due by April 12th. The city just announced uh, their committee on civic arenas, and I know you love this. Uh, we'll have their first meeting March 27th, the first of a planned 10 meetings on this subject. So these, that's a tour. Ten meetings is a West Coast. I, I tour. made the joke that the whatever team, whether it's hockey or basketball, ever comes to Seattle and plays in a new arena, they'll have to be known as the Seattle Process. Yeah, yeah, because there's been a lot of it. Boy. I mean, uh, basketball. It's funny in a in a town that hasn't had the Sonics. A lot of people love it. Uh, a lot of people have been turning to the UW basketball team uh, because there is no NBA team. They've been the only show in town, and and that was a big story this week too, with uh, the University of Washington. I think. To, to some people's surprise, letting go of Lorenzo Romar after more than a, a decade uh, there at the university. Uh, I, I haven't had a lot of interaction with him. I know uh, a lot of people have been writing stories about you know, just Lorenzo Romar at the man. Uh, I, I can tell you just It's never fun to be fired, but he's got to feel good as he leaves because it's been nothing but, oh, he's the prince. This guy is the best guy ever. I mean, if, you know, if... When you leave, you always hope you land on your feet somewhere, and it seems like he gets to leave, uh, you know, a bit of a hero. Yeah, I mean, you know, people have been saying, you look at what he's done there, and yeah, they haven't won over the last few years, and it's weird, two guys who are cougs, but I've always admired him from a distance in that his kids, yes, they left school to go to the NBA, but he never really had a bunch of troublemakers there, like you see at some schools. Right. He had one guy, Vinoy Overton, and that led to one of my biggest interactions with with Lorenzo when that all went down when Benoit Overton got in trouble a few years back. You know that was tough because it's tough to think of another player who had any problems under Lorenzo. And so sure. we we tried to confront the coach uh, at at the peak of his success 
uh, outside a seafood restaurant in, in Ballard. And I remember thinking like, you know, we've got we've to gotta make sure we, we handle him a certain way. And lo and behold, he walked out and it was confrontational, but he still answered everything with a smile on his face. You know, said that, uh, you know, he, he wanted to know more, hadn't had all the details. And it was just, it, it always stuck, it stood out in my mind because of, of the way he handled it with grace and really what was one of the toughest times during his term at the University of Washington. And he was the kind of guy you could wave over while you're live on TV and talk about whatever. Uh, he just had a, has a certain grace about him. And I think uh, that anybody who's a Husky fan or a basketball fan, that's what they're going to miss. Well, ultimately, Chris, this is just uh, the capper to what has uh, been a very eventful week. Of course, we spring forward. Yes. Are you one of those people who looks forward to that, or do you see it as, well, I'm going to lose an hour of sleep. Now I'm going to get up and it's dark. I, I hate the spring forward. I love the fall back. I love the fall back. See, I get excited about the spring forward yeah. just because I want longer days. I love yeah. to have some time out in nature amongst the populations <laughs> while the sun is still up. Maybe that's because we're yeah. in Seattle and we get it for about six minutes. Uh, it says on average, uh, with daylight savings time, it takes people about two to three days for their bodies to adjust. And I see that, even I saw that in my own daughters. They were they were sleeping longer than they should have. And I'm, Wake up, eat some breakfast, you gotta go to school. So um, there is some science behind this and this is the time of year that we get all these press releases into the King 5 newsroom like these ones that talk about the sleeping patterns. You know, Monday was actually National Napping Day. That's a thing. I, I feel like I lost out. I didn't get one. Are day. you a napper? I, I'm a napper on weekends. They did a survey. They said about 56% said it takes them, uh, you know, as we just talked about, a couple of days to adjust to springtime. But then they talked about people napping and saying, okay, so do you nap to get accustomed to it and they've got you know physiologists and people weighing in on this and said there are certain times of day that you should and should not nap uh, past 4 p.m for example they say you know if you're gonna nap nap between two and four because you know that's when your circadian rhythm is at its lowest energy level so it makes it easier to power down so between two and four is a good time to power down they talk about the, the, the fact that you're napping and not really going into deep sleep usually creates bizarre dreams mm. I don't know this because I'm not a napper I never recover from naps yeah it doesn't matter how exhausted if I've been burning it at both ends if I take a nap, I'm gonna wake up and be a shell of myself. I, it takes me hours to get back onto my feet. So the bizarre dreams apparently happens. And they, what do you think the ideal nap time is? Uh, an hour, two uh, hours? I would say less than an hour. They say 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, they said 20 minutes, that power nap which I don't understand. I don't think I would be asleep until about minute number 18, uh, yeah. and then I would wake up. So Monday was National Napping Day, but actually Friday, St. Paddy's Day, of course, that's the headliner, just so happens to coincide with uh, World Sleep Day. It was March 17th, it happens every year. Uh, you might have slept right through it if you abide and, and celebrate that holiday. Shouldn't National Sleep Day actually be the day after St. Should, Patrick's Day? Be. Because I think a lot of people are going to sleep in after a Friday night St. Patty's Day with the green beer. But we don't want to ruin the sanctity of St. Patty's Day. No, no, Some no, people no. just celebrate the food. Do you actually do the St. Patty's Day? I remember uh, once upon a time, of course, everybody would go out and cut loose and, and St. Patty's is fun. I am Irish, so I, I really kind of use it as the excuse to, to you know, cook 
certain foods at home, throw on yes. the sauerkraut and all that stuff. Uh, I I tend to every once in a while celebrate St. Patty's. I don't have any big St. Patty's Day tradition or plans this year. No, no green wear. Uh, remember that used to be the thing you had to wear green or yeah. else you're going to get pinched at school. Yes. Oh, that was a big thing. Well, my kids school. are still living in fear of that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so it is a world sleep day on the 17th. Maybe you missed it. Uh, but because of that, uh, we got another press release. This one right here from a website, actually, and it, it, who created an app, calm.com. Calm.com. Put out some <laughs> information, which I thought you would all find quite interesting. They talk about the strangest insomnia cures. But there's a lot of people who, you know, have problems with insomnia, so calm in honor of World Sleep Day, said, hey, we wanted to do a little survey with people and talk about insomnia cures. What do you do? And, but then they actually made it historical. They dug deep, deep into the archives and chose, they said, we want people to vote on the strangest insomnia cures. You know, things that were relied upon, preached, used by many hundreds, thousands of people for years and years before maybe cultures and traditions changed and people went, hey, that's weird. I'm not yeah. doing that anymore. So here we go. Uh, they actually have 11. Uh, so I'll go in reverse order. The 11th, what people found to be the strangest insomnia cure. Uh, drinking cinnamon and banana and tea. Drinking cinnamon and banana and tea was hmm. 11. Actually, it's tied with curling and uncurling your toes. These are real findings. Alrighty there. I think maybe that's just like the you know the idea of concentrating on yeah. something and doing that. Uh, number ten, watching a video of a crossword puzzle tournament. These are all things <laughs> that could put you that back in, to sleep. That yeah. in certain pockets, uh, people believe to be effective. Number nine, pointing your bed northwards. Have you ever heard of that? No. It's just something about the direction of pointing it north. Uh, number eight, eating a raw onion before bed. Ugh. <laughs> Now, if you share your bed with somebody, lucky them. Yes. Did you eat a raw onion? Why, yes, I did. Good night. Yes. <laughs> uh, so we've got the raw onion uh, drinking uh, a brew of lettuce opium. I can see why that went out of fashion. Yeah. Uh, eating fried lettuce before bed. Once again, lettuce. Fried lettuce before bed. Fried lettuce. So here's the top five. And again, they had a couple of ties there. Number five, lathering your hair in yellow soap. Number four, rubbing... <laughs> A dormouse or a field mouse fat on the soles of your feet. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! Sounds next level crazy. Yep, yep, I know. That, and that is quite gross. Uh, number three, drinking a potion containing the bile of a castrated boar. That's that's from this press release. I didn't pull that to shock anybody. Uh, in certain countries, yes, maybe. I haven't done that for years. No. Not for years. All right, number two... Eating sea slug entrails before oh, you go to yeah. bed. I remember that. And one this time. is a you know uh, this is this is a Japanese folk remedy. You know goes way 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 back. So I can understand why that one probably went out yeah. of fashion. I don't even like well cooked sl sea slug. Uh, and number one, rubbing dogs earwax on your teeth. Believe it or not, that was a thing. Rubbing mm. dogs earwax on your teeth. They believed it would cure insomnia. Credited uh, way back to a 15th century doctor and a mathematician in Renaissance Italy. By the way, whose credits include being a founder of probability theory. So just in case you said, nah, it's probably some nut. Mm. No, no, this guy knows what he's talking about. A lot of people get up, have something to eat, drink water, 
uh, try and get in a dark room. Now, one of the things I like the most about this, uh, are you a guy who uses anything to help you sleep sound? White noise. I have two little girls. White noise. So I have had white noise for the better part of a decade yeah. at all times when we're sleeping. But, you know, now there are apps, things like, you know, noise and things in the background that yeah. you can have that are that, that are going to calm you. In fact, I just brought up the Calm app right now. Listen. <sighs> That's just by bringing up their app. I brought up their app because they're introducing Sleepy Time Stories which you think, oh yeah, I've heard of that yeah. before. But they've actually hired someone relatively notable to read at least one of their bedtime <laughs> stories intended to put you to sleep. Who comes to mind when I say, think of a celebrity, think of somebody who's been in the acting world, I'll leave it at that, who immediately comes to mind when I say, who's somebody who would just put you to sleep by talking? Hmm... Anybody come to mind? To sleep by talking. See how quickly you can recognize this voice. Adams here. Adam Lee here. Adamowski. Adamson here. Adler here. Anderson. Anderson here. Bueller. 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 It's Ben Stein. Oh, yes, Bueller. Yes. Bueller. Bueller. I, you know, that was the, the thought I had is, I mean, that's always been his gig, right? To put people to sleep with his voice. A certain generation yeah. definitely remembers him from Ferris yeah. Bueller. Anyone, anyone. He was synonymous with the teacher that would put you to sleep. So somebody said, hey, why don't we have him read stories to <laughs> yeah. people and it'll knock them out cold. Uh, before we shift gears to another story you have here, because we yes. love to talk food real quickly. Yes. Well, you wouldn't want to necessarily eat McDonald's right before you go to bed. I don't think that would be healthy for you, but they're in the news. I'm sure there are some people who like to stuff themselves and then just go right to sleep, but McDonald's in the news for, for their all the Twitter wrong account. Reasons. Yes. Yeah. Uh, from Politico, uh, this is something that flared up. The fast food restaurant chain, chain seemed to challenge the president, Donald Trump, to a Twitter war on Thursday before quickly walking it back, saying its account had been compromised. And I'm now reading the tweet. That's the new thing, right? If you, yeah. something goes out on Twitter and you and you want to backtrack on it, my, my account was compromised. Yeah, I was hacked. It was not me. I was hacked. It wasn't me. However, this is a rather pointed tweet, and it's yes. safe to assume this was not from the top brass at McDonald's. Uh, no, I, I'm guessing, though, uh, somebody in the social media department is probably getting a talking to after this. Yeah. Real Donald Trump, you are actually a disgusting excuse of a president, and we would love to have Barack Obama back. Also, you have tiny hands. The McDonald's Twitter account posted that. And remember, breakfast is served all day. Come <laughs> and, see us. And that was retweeted more than a thousand times before it was deleted uh, some minutes later. And then about an hour and 15 minutes later, McDonald's followed up and tweeted it was investigating the incident. Uh, Twitter notified us that our account was compromised. The restaurant posted, we deleted the tweet, secured our account, and are now investigating this. Uh, the president, by the way, has not responded, as far as we know, to uh, this provocation uh, on what is uh, his favorite social media platform. He he backed it up in an interview this week. He lives said, on Twitter. Hey, he said it helped elect him president. Sure. Everybody was saying Twitter was dead, but Donald Trump is saying, hey, it kept him alive and now uh, got him uh, into the White House. But yeah, he apparently uh, did a McDonald's commercial back in 2002 as well. He did indeed. Uh, talking up the now discontinued Big and Tasty. I don't know how you do it. I've put together some really impressive deals. 
But this thing you've pulled off, it's amazing. A big and tasty for just a dollar? How do you do it? What's your secret? Got a buck? You're in luck. Because you can get a delicious, beefy, big and tasty, a McChicken sandwich, and lots of your other favorites on McDonald's dollar menu every day. Together, Grimace, we could own this town. They filmed that uh, in Trump Tower back in 2002. That'll do it for us this week. As always, you can find us online on our social channels. Chris, we could tell folks where to go, but why do we have this impressive announcer? If we don't use him, David. On Twitter and Instagram at Next Best Part. Chris, I like you. I just don't think it was an incredible vocal performance. That's the point I was trying to make. This is the exclusive ending of the Next Best Podcast. 